John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Have accessed entry 391.RV2101, certificate number 46819, Earth 2. We're looking at another dimension. Live. It's just like ours. Almost, but their flash is still alive. So's their Luthor. There's something else. They don't call themselves the Justice Lords. They're the Justice League. Not Biosphere 2. Not Earth also. <laughs> yeah, not Earth as well. Earth T-O-O. Earth hyphen T... No, wait. No. Earth hyphen T-W-O. T-W-O. Second Earth. Du- uh, alternate Earth. Do you think about alternate Earths? I, you have to because if you are interested in... You don't in, have to. Well... It's not compulsory. Nobody comes to your house. No, but you know, at a certain point you follow along in the physics trades... And you're like, I love, you know, lol, I'm loving this energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. And then you get to string theory. Then you get to quantum And you have physics. to just stand there at the door and go, do I really want to walk through here? The problem is I can't not because I don't want to be like a, I don't want to be a, a truther, a one world truther. Do your reflections on the quantum realm boil down or, you know, I guess boil up into how you see your life and the universe? Yeah. Do you think about what parallel universe John Roderick is doing if he had not, uh, what, dodged that truck in Istanbul or... Uh, no, I mean, that that stuff feels pretty comic booky. I mean, the... the, the oh, we're going to get comic booky. <laughs> the multiverse thing seems... It's less interesting to me as like, what if I could go through a door and meet a, meet like evil John who's who has who, who actually has, has eyebrows? He has no beard. <laughs> it's the opposite of the Spock thing. But... um. Or maybe I'm Evil John. Whoa! Oh no! You do have the beard, but uh, but it, it but you know just the suggestion. I don't know. We this uh, suggestion. What am I talking about? The suggestions. It's it's certainly a lot to sit and and ponder. Has it been too colored by a certain kind of pop culture for you to take it seriously? Be, because it's a science fiction trope, you disdain the nerdery of it. No, I mean I still am trying to. I'm still trying to um, grapple with the. Physics, mm. uh, which it's way above my pay grade. So and you can't even get into the existential dilemmas of it because... No, because I'm still just trying to figure out what... what. I mean, <laughs> there are some things about it I love. I love spooky action at a di- distance. I love it when particles... Um, you almost said spooky action at a dick. 
I, that, I love spooky the, action. At a is Dick's. that the theme of your Halloween party this year? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's uh, oh, it's it, the hamburger. It, yeah, it describes what my order at at uh, Dick's hamburgers. Can I get a spooky action at a distance with fries? Uh, I I just I love the conundra. I love the uh, the thought experiment, but I love a thought experiment that I actually can take somewhere. Mm. And the problem with quantum is that I. Uh, I get I get into the math weeds and I don't understand right and so then I then I just feel dumb and I don't like feeling dumb. It's all very hypothetical, you know. When you when you try to explain this stuff, even at a simple level, you really just have to say, "Just take my weird word for it." Stuff just gets take my weird, weird for it. Take I'm going to start saying it. that. <laughs> Look, just take my weird for it. Song title. Uh, yeah, like stuff is just going to get weird. So just yeah. let me tell you about particles and waves and it, it's going to sound wrong, but just assume it's not. And that's, that's a tough foundation for a field, right? Yeah. Or, or, or at a, at a, in a world of infinite possibilities in a Hilbert hotel, uh, of math, it starts to seem like things are undifferentiable. Certainly like it's hard to, because a lot of this stuff is interesting to me because, of how it affects making moral arguments about things, discovering right and wrong, uh, uh, like parsing out culpabilities, and and at the, at a point at which all things are are infinitely possible, it's harder than to maybe not harder to make a case. It's just irrelevant to making certain cases. And I'm I'm somebody that loves the idea of a unified theory. And so I don't want something in physics to be incompatible with the idea that you should be good to people or, or if not incompatible, at least like, I don't want something in physics to, to, to be agnostic about yeah, it. Yeah. To be agnostic about it. I want there to be a unit. Isn't and that the trend in physics? It is. And the problem is I'm not religious, right? So the, so the solution for me would be, well, find a religion that, that, that it will make a case Just for. Give up on being nice to people and become a libertarian. <laughs> There's that too. I could make that choice. I stand at the crossroads uh, and don't know which See? way to go. So we're all at the crossroads. All these decisions we make uh, affect the the timeline we live in, and we don't think of you know today we might think of them as timelines. You know, previous generations just would have said that's the journey of my life. But the thought experiment is: what if what if you chose a different thing? You know, what if there could be libertarian John branching off. From this moment and making angry podcasts about the free market. Oh, I hate I hate that guy. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, he will lose a lot of friends for sure. No, the problem is he probably won't. He'll probably gain a bunch of new followers. I just don't want to be that guy. Um, it's a tempting way to think of your life. The thing about a unified theory is it it, it simplifies things. And uh, but a lot of the implications of quantum theory are that uh, the universe is infinitely more complex even than it seems. That right. one universe is much too small to complain to contain it all. What if there were a near infinite number of universes? What yeah. if there was a multiverse? What if uh, one of them? So and this has seeped into popular culture as well, less through science and more through science fiction. Oh, science fiction, the new science. <laughs> it's, it's it's better than science, I guess, or at least makes more at the box office. The trouble with tribbles. Uh, the Earth 2, the particular alternate universe I want to introduce you to. Go on. Dates back. You're laughing already. You're sneering at Earth 2 already. Because <laughs> you're set up. You're like, this isn't science, but science adjacent. Uh, dates back to 1961. Oh, uh, good year. One of the most influential 
comic book writers of the early years of the go. 20th century. This is this is the. I'm going to keep track of how many times you say, "Here we go." <laughs> this is. This Here's is, one. There's one tick on the paper. This is Omnibus in a nutshell. You're just trying to bring your comic book, your your room full of comic book omnibuses into the show and make this show the same as your room full. I feel like we never talk books. about we don't talk about nerd culture that much. Like how often does Star Trek even come up on this show? Do we not? I guess we don't. What's the nerdiest one so far? I don't know. It's probably some math thing. It's Hilbert Hotel. Well, let's go. Let's go. Here we go. This is the write it down. I said it the, twice. The first, and, <laughs> the first and last science fiction related omnibus. Here perhaps. we go down into the Marvel Comics universe. Uh, no DC. Oh, it's the oh we're in DC. Oh, okay. Then I'm I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. Wait, what? You're well, a, you're a Spider Man kid. No, the thing is, I just don't hear as I don't hear as much about DC, so I'm not as I'm not this as a, worn down. This is a very exactly. So we're living in a culture right now that's currently overwhelmed by superhero comics as mass culture. I am a Spider-Man kid, by the way. I was the only the only comic, the only superhero comic I could read. This is a weird little niche of 20th century comics that I think is not super well reflected in what we think of as the superhero boom of the early 21st century. Uh, Gardner Fox was a was a very uh, influential and prolific writer of the pulps. Mm-hmm. Back then, these kind of sciencey kids could make a good living writing for these uh, cheap, astounding space thrills kind of magazines that would need just thousands of new words every month. And there was a big audience of, of uh, you know, it was the pre-nerd era, but there was a big audience of science kids that wanted to read uh, about uh, laser battles Well, you stuff. remember when Marty McFly first uh, goes back in time to 1955 in his uh, DeLorean and he crashes into the barn and uh, the, his his uh, his protective fallout suit flops down over his eyes, and the farmer and his family come running out to see what happened. The little kid is clutching a pulp magazine with a picture of a UFO on it, and it looks just like Marty McFly in a DeLorean, and that and thus begins our wild adventure. A lot of people were raised on that. In the movie, George McFly is a big fan of the pulps. Oh, and that's, he becomes a writer of them, right? Right, and that's that's because Marty disguises as Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan. And right. it, it changes his... Of course, Darth like, Vader from Planet Vulcan. I guess because there was really not a whole lot of children's entertainment. You, know, you couldn't come home and watch children's TV, so you were really limited to things like the Sunday comics, where Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers were shooting lasers. Right. And the radio, where there would be, uh, uh, you know, other kinds of pulp heroes. The Shadow. The Shadow and the Lone Ranger and uh, Greenhorn. And maybe, are there uh, are there science fiction-y ones? I'm not well, sure. Well, there's, there's uh, War of the Worlds. Or, I mean, sure, I guess that's yeah. lit, but uh, what it about? It was lit, man. <laughs> what about? <laughs> that, was a, that was a crazy night. What about, uh, what about Orson Welles's um, uh, broadcast? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, no, it was War of the Worlds. Oh, War of the Worlds. Worlds. Yeah, it was it was a H.G. Wells adaptation. But uh, I'm just now. It's occurring to me when George McFly got to be middle aged. <laughs> did he go to Star Wars? <laughs> well, did he wonder like, wait a minute? When when Star Trek came on the television, low only a few years, like ten years later, yeah. And he saw Planet Vulcan. Planet Vulcan. He was like, wait a minute. I think I would accept that as a coincidence. Vulcan yeah. is a Roman god like all the other planets. But Darth Vader. But then when Darth Vader shows up, sure. he's going to start to figure it out. He's going to piece it together. Right. There's, never... a, there's a Crispin Glover sequel I'd like to see. That would be a, that would be a nice <laughs> little little fanfic. Anyway, Gardner Fox was very much a, one of these science kids. By all accounts, he just had a house full of books, file cabinets full of 
facts. And if you read his pulp stories or later his comic work, it's just full of whatever he was interested at the time. Exploration of the Arctic or weird old-timey coins or uh, uh, black holes. Uh, You know, he kept up with the latest erudition, Mm -hmm. a National Geographic kind of a guy. Uh, If you read his... um, his Silver Age comics, I think is he was the one that always uh, had in his comics about the Flash, DC Comics' super-powered speedster character. He would often have flash facts that talked about different actual science-related implications of the speed of sound, the speed of light, different kind of physics kind of stuff. Like He, he thought he would educate yeah. the, the, the New Frontier kids, or New Frontier kids, they might have said, uh-huh. uh, on... Got our, the our right new, dynamic on the new frontier. Our new Sputnik era world. Um, but in the in the golden age of superheroes, which kind of began with the first appearance of Superman in 1938, uh, Gardner Fox wrote a ton of those early comics. He created the original Flash, uh, who mm-hmm. was college student Jay Garrick. Uh, some kind of accident involving heavy water gives him the power to move very fast. Huh. He created Hawkman. He created Dr. Fate. And his big innovation was to tie a lot of these characters together into one comic, The Justice Society of America. In 1940, Gardner, comic, Gardner Fox debuted in All-Star Comics number three, the first time that any of these heroes would hang out and fight crime together. So the idea of a shared universe where so, all of your fictional favorites might hang out, this is you know, second nature to us today. But yeah. he, he kind of had to invent it from the whole cloth in 1940 because nobody at the time had ever been like, but what if Dracula, like, actually knew uh, Dr. Frankenstein? But it seems like the fashion to connect universes and to say that the South Park universe shares a universe with the Seinfeld universe because one because of you know one thing that appeared in the background it all goes back to St. Elsewhere it's all that kid with the snow globe on St. Elsewhere I mean that's pretty that's fairly recent right or what was that did that happen during the run of St. Elsewhere or was it something that was that was retroactively imposed on self I think this is one of many a case and we're going to see other tropes like this during this entry of a science fiction trope people being aware of different timelines and and fictional universes uh, actually crossing over into each other, people taking those sci-fi tropes and applying them to the other popular entertainment. Are we going to talk about the Tommy Westfall universe or should we save that for another episode? (laughs) Is that a whole omnibus? We should decide now. I I don't know. I don't know know if it is. Maybe. It's, it's uh, the crux of it is that, uh, it's all a dream. In the last episode of St. Elsewhere, a 1980s hospital drama St. Elsewhere, the whole show is kind of implied to be happening in the head of a a possibly autistic Uh, or epileptic kid. Yeah. Who has a little snow globe containing a a hospital. The problem is that St. Elsewhere crossed over with cheers at one point, both shows taking place in Boston. Cheers is also in the snow globe. All nine, all 200 episodes of cheers took place in this, in Chad Allen's snow globe. And then other shows crossed over with cheers, like all the Frasers and then everybody who met Frasier. And then it, it eventually gets you to, to dozens or even hundreds of television shows. I think it goes through Richard Belzer a lot because he uh, right. he plays the same character on many TV shows. Right. Anyway, so that, but that's the same kind of impulse. Like, instead of just considering this as a work of art, what if it's a whole world that's happening somewhere before the book started and after the book ended? What would the implications of that be? And I don't think that's a way we uh, have thought of art much, at least in, say, the post-Enlightenment era. Maybe the ancient Greeks, you know, would have 
they had their own kind of continuity right. issues trying you know the romans trying to figure out which of their gods were actually the greek gods right the well, greeks trying just, to get different stories to fit together and the greeks often trying to incorporate actual real world wars yes. and events yes. into a kind of their pantheonic legends so for them it was semi-real and i don't know if that's the same impulse as us trying to take some of our favorite works of art or entertainment and say actually they all know what if they knew each other well increasingly i think for people it is real because those fictional universes are becoming very real to yes. them uh, that's where i mean they inhabit a, those worlds as much as they do their own and we would romanticize that in the old days you know a kid just uh, dreaming over uh, the sunday comics or thinking about what if dracula met tarzan you know we right. kind of think that's uh you know a, a fun mental adventure and today maybe we're seeing the apotheosis of it where we think are we spending too much time in these fictional universes like is, or, is the world going to hell while i uh think about uh whether spider-man's allowed to be in the next avengers movie we're certainly in a period now where it feels like and 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 particularly with the rise of comic cons and and cosplays and so forth that we're it's too early to tell what the future holds and whether or not there becomes a Marvel verse that lives in the world. Right. I mean, if there are enough people cosplaying as people in the Spidey verse, how long before the, they just start going to work that way? And how long before you don't, you know, you don't have a diverse workplace unless you have one Spider-Man. What if it actually sub uh, starts to surface in our reality, like a Borges short story in which people have imagined the Marvel universe in more detail than our own and it supplants us in some way like it actually starts to grow outward here's my question how do you fit into the spidey verse ken oh i've never been into the spidey verse no but i mean if the spidey verse becomes the universe oh, i see what how I? are you what are you are you just are you just somebody that is walking the streets as as some various spidey i feel like i maintain the fan page Hmm. <laughs> like uh no but but outside of the outside inside the spidey verse like right. inside the well, Spideyverse. Well, I live in New York. Oh, I The Spideyverse is all Manhattan. I get it. I what get am it. I going to do from Seattle? Am I going to... Uh, There's going to be a Seattle Spideyverse if there are if there are multiverses. Sure. There can be one, be one in which we got all those superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of... Uh, what's the guy we have? Phoenix Jones. Seattle actually had the groundbreaking... Actual real-life actual superhero. Guy yeah. who would, uh, I don't know if he was climbing walls, but he was trying to break up fights and whatnot. Stop crime. Stop. Got to stop crime. So Gardner Fox uh, continues, you know, superheroes go out of style at some point in the 1950s. Uh, uh, yep. Gardner Fox continues to write for uh, DC, but it's not until the mid-50s that superheroes start to make uh, a recovery. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are published continuously from the 1940s into the 1950s, but the bloom is really off the rose, hmm. and they're not, they're, the kids are not buying millions of, of Batman comics like like they were during the heyday, you know, around World War II. I think World War II was a huge boom for comics. Lots of, uh, lots of bored, young American men overseas looking for something to read at various levels of education. Right. And here's a market where you can sell the millions of Superman comics. They would love to see Superman or Captain America punching Hitler. You can see why so many of those stories kind of had a military bent. Right. Uh, but the superheroes kind of fade. And in 1956, it's uh, one DC Comics editor, Julius Schwartz, who brings back 
superheroes. And and does it how? How does how are the superheroes sold to the next gen? New titles, new identities. You know, what if there was a Flash, but it wasn't Jay Garrick, the college student that we read about 15 years ago. What if it's a, kind of a younger, hipper, crew-cutted a policeman named oh. Barry Allen working in his police lab when lightning strikes some chemicals and gives him speed powers. So it uses all the old tropes, but it kind of updates it for the Eisenhower era. Right. There's a new Green Lantern and he's a space cop. Right. Uh, it's not, it's not a mystical thing. There's a, there's a new, uh, there's a new Robin and he's like a beat, a Dobie Gillis beatnik. Who's... <laughs> there, uh, there actually were, there actually was some, that was mostly on the Marvel side, oh, right. you know, uh, in 1961, the same year in which earth two is born, of course, Stan Lee and, uh, and his collaborators like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko begin a kind of a new kind of funnier, hipper competing wave of superheroes over at Marvel. And these are not your dad's square Superman and Batman with their clubhouses and their pals and their dogs. Like these guys actually have real troubles and, uh, and real jokes and quips. And it's, right. it seems it's, it's definitely geared at emerging American teen culture. And it took, it took, uh, it took DC another two decades to, to come up with the dark Knight and the Batman that's truly bad. We will get to that. Yeah. DC okay. doesn't, never really becomes the face of American youth culture until, kind of embracing a darker, grittier version of the superhero in the 1980s. So why the heck was DC so squeaky clean? What's going on over there? Why? What do they got to hide that they don't have? <laughs> That's the, your impulse? Well, they're making nice comics about no, nice superheroes. Clearly, they're, they're, the they're killing drifters. When did you first get life insurance, John? Do you remember? Oh, it has to do with the birth of my daughter. Yeah, I mean, same way. Yeah, once you, I mean, before you have a child, who cares? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if, if you die... What do you, I mean, you know, a motorcycle could fall from space and hit me right now. Yeah. Bury, bury me in a field uh, of flowers. Uh, I was the same way. Once I had kids, I started thinking about it seriously because, you know, you realize your family depends on you. Yeah. When my dad died, he died like owing a ton of money to the IRS and to 50 other creditors. Ooh, so this is a very real thing for you. But he had a life insurance policy that somehow was, um, was not included in whatever his other many uh, debt machinations were. So his creditors were appeased. Yeah, and it was, um, it was, you know, it was great. It was nice. It did feel like a real uh, step into adulthood, uh, kind of a scary, off-putting moment. I have to figure out life insurance, but I think we can make that easier for people who try Ethos, which is a faster and easier and more affordable way get life insurance to make sure your family's taken care of it seems like a big question you know life insurance is an investment and you don't think of it as one necessarily but you are paying into a thing that in in the event of of something awful happening pays out in in uh, in spades it doesn't have to be intimidating like this is ethos makes it very easy you just have to you know you fill out a questionnaire with information about your your health your age your income and you, you get an estimate right away and, uh, you know, everyone's estimate is going to be different, but if you're say a healthy 35 year old for just $50 a month, you can have a million dollar ethos life insurance policy. Which, that's the, which that's is great. The, the thing about life insurance, right? If you are an 80 year old, <laughs> life insurance is much more expensive than if you are a 35 year old. It's, it's pretty bargain price when you're young. I can't really. Oh, I, and I see why if yeah. I was selling life insurance, I think I see why I would charge the 80 year old more. More. That's right. And, uh, but it's precisely if you are a young person who's out riding your gossamer albatrosses, uh, getting, you know, having risks and, uh, and drinking champagne. 
that um, that you would you know you have less savings, you would need to support your child with some kind of. You're also more likely to have young children who rely on you. Right. An, an 80 year old man, unless you're Tony Randall, you don't have um, you don't have a you don't have a baby at home in the crib. So what what uh, if if we were going to point omnibus listeners to um, should we do that to uh, to ethos as a way of of sort of providing them a tool through which they could maybe pursue search for the right life insurance policy for them. You know what? I'm going to sweeten the deal. I'm going to say they should go okay. directly to ethoslife.com slash omnibus and click on check my price. That's a fully personalized quote. They can get just by going to ethoslife.com slash omnibus. So you're suggesting that if a listener to the Omnibus Project. Who might not have life insurance or might not be happy with their current insurance situation. But but currently has some questions about life insurance and is interested or maybe just life insurance curious. Yeah. You're suggesting that they go to ethoslife.com slash omnibus and explore their life insurance options. Don't forget the slash omnibus. Tell them John and Ken sent you. What I loved about spider-man was he was a teenager and yes. he and spider-man comics were funny in the 60s i mean i found all those stacks of my friend's older brother's spidey comics and loved him he was hilarious he and tells really jokes snarky. and the villains get mad yeah they'll be like spider-man and he'll say well it isn't uh well it, it ain't uh uh yeah right albert schweitzer sure, it's not whistling uh, macaroni and cheese and they'll be so mad that he's making fun of them while they're trying to do their crimes. Yeah, he makes fun of them while they do crimes. That didn't happen over at DC. Batman and Superman made treasure hunts for each other. Yeah, they were just like... And it's irony-free. They all have boy sidekicks, and nobody ever, like, kind of turns a side eye on that. No, the whole whole world over there just was too earnest for me. And in the 60s, when the counterculture embraces it, it becomes the Batman TV show where they they amp up the the campy, kitschy quality. Right. Well, I liked that. That was a fun show. That's a fun use of it. Kapow! But the funny thing is, like, they kind of invented superhero, reinvented superheroes for teens in the 50s. They just, you know, teen culture was emerging, so they did not yet have the advantage of having... They didn't get all the way up to Christian Archie. They didn't get up to to slang, even. You know, they just had... um, they got up to, to square malt shop, Archie, in, in, when you get Barry Allen and Hal Jordan and all these guys. So Barry Allen, the new Flash, lives in Central City, not Keystone City like his 40s equivalent. Uh-huh. Uh, but except for that, he has the same kind of super-powered adventures. Um, and uh, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman continue to exist, and they know this, this new generation of, of hero as well. Uh, in September of 1961... Gardner Fox, who had written a lot of these 40s comics, writes a landmark issue of The Flash's comic, Flash number 123. This is the guy that gave us the Justice Society of America, superheroes crossing over. And he one-ups that with his story, which he calls Flash of Two Worlds. This is still a beloved Silver Age comic book, which would sell for $5,000 or more today if you could find a nice copy uh, I know my dad is still convinced that he has a copy of Flash of Two Worlds someplace. What? It was like when he threw out all his comics, this was the one that meant a lot to him and he held on to is it. Is it worth money? Uh, if, if his was in good shape, it could be worth thousands. His is probably not in good shape if it exists. But I remember as a kid, him going through boxes, seeing if he could find his copy of Flash, Flash of, of Two, Two Worlds. Worlds for me. People remember this. It was a real watershed for uh, a certain kind of sci-fi kid of that generation. Uh, what happens in Flash of Two Worlds is this Flash, uh, Flash, in addition to running fast, 
can vibrate his molecules at super speed. Oh, I remember this. This lets him like pat. He can pass through walls and whatnot sure. because he'll vibrate out of phase with matter. Sure. I don't know if that's possible or not. I know who, this is going to trouble your unified theory. No, but no, no. I believe it. I'll, I'll go along with that. Here we go. Because I'm always talking to my daughter about like, look, solids look solid, but they're not solids. Sure. You got your atoms, and she's like, you "Feel like you're touching this, but you're never really touching." She's man. like, "What are you talking about?" We talked about it the other day because she did the old uh, salt on ice experiment. Oh, that's fun. And she was like, "It's colder," and I'm like, "I know, right?" Because the atoms are doing stuff. So the flash can uh, pass through walls by vibrating his molecules. In this particular story, he vibrates his molecules so much he winds up in a different dimension entirely. Okay, now why? He is. Uh, he has moved out of phase with our universe, like, apparently. Sure. And uh, on a different vibrational uh, uh, resonance. Strange quarks. In the same space as 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 our universe, as his central city, uh, there's a different place, and this place turns out to be Keystone City, where Jay Garrick, the 1940s Flash, operated. Oh. So. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Wait a minute. So when when Flash was transmuted. In the 60s to, what was the city that he lived in? He, he went from Central City to Keystone City. Was the new city. But was when he went through the time portal or the space portal, did he end up in Central City or Keystone City? So he's he's from Central City. He's from Central City. and he But he winds up in uh, Keystone City. But when he was in Central City, was there ever any reference to Keystone City? Or was it, was it one of these like no. hand-waving, now he... He yeah. always lived here. There are some kind of Tommy Westfall implications of this, as we shall see. But yeah, but there was never any there was never any mention to the fact that there was a previous Flash at all oh, until this moment. So now we meet previous Flash. Right, and he, and he finds, uh, by looking through a phone book, he finds out that Jay Garrick, the old Flash, is retired, I think has married uh, his, his girlfriend from those comics and is, is living happily in retirement. And so our two Flashes have to team up to fight... Three uh, criminals, the Shade, the Fiddler, and the Thinker that are wrecking havoc with a crime spree in old-timey Keystone City. But now we, the viewers, are able to see and comprehend the two universes. Where do we sit? Okay, well, that's going to come up as well. What city are we We're in? in a different universe entirely, John. I see, okay. And, and that's, that starts to be hinted at here because here's the, here's, the, uh, here's the even crazier thing than two comic books that you know of can meet in story and and be in different universes but still hang out through kind of hand wavy science but there's a second layer which is that when barry allen the flash meets jay garrick he doesn't just say oh right you were the flash from 15 years ago or i don't know about you because you're in a different universe what he actually says is oh i read about your stories in the 40s so he's a fiction flash yes. it within barry allen's universe jay garrick has is a comic character from the previous generation so wait a minute so Flash number two, who read about earlier Flash as a comic, uh, as a comic story from his as childhood. A, yes, when he got electrified and became the Flash, does he ever refer to the fact that I just took on all the comic book appurtenances? You'd think he would have, right? You'd think there would be a. And today, if you were writing today, you, there would definitely be a nod to, "Hey, I'm going to be like one of these comic book heroes you see in movies." I'm going to put on a felt headdress that I made. Uh, but that was five years earlier. It was a different writer. Nobody had thought of connecting the two. In fact, that would have been anathema because we want to appeal to new teens. We're not going to mention their dad's World War II era right, stuff. Right, 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 right. So it's only when Gardner Fox, the guy who wrote some of the old ones, comes on board that he thinks it would be fun to tie in his old stories. And there is an in-story explanation for how this second universe could exist 
as a fictional element in the first. Uh, and it's it's dumb, you know, it's it's hand wavy. But uh, it's at the bottom of a pond. Somewhere. Barry Allen says, "Hey, maybe uh, Gardner Fox, the, this writer who who wrote about you, he must have had some vibrational uh, tune into this other universe, mm-hmm. and that's why he started writing about." So apparently, there is a Gardner Fox in Barry Allen's world mm-hmm. writing stories about Jay Garrick, just as he did in ours. Right, but somehow those stories get over to the and other universe. You mean ours? Wow. See, this is when it gets tricky, and that's why DC Comics has to start numbering these worlds. Eventually, Barry Allen's world, where most DC Comics take place, is Earth-1. But they can apparently, like the Flash, travel back and forth to the World War II era stuff, which becomes Earth-2, confusingly, because it's older. Right. Uh, we live on Earth-Prime, which is later revealed to be a different universe where comic books, heroes don't exist. It's a fictional construct. But we can read the adventures of these true heroes that live in other universes. Yes. On earth, on earth, you know, in earth prime, it's, 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 it's understood that you can travel back and forth. Although in my life, I've never seen a comic book hero from a different universe. Just pop up by no, vibrating. His molecules. No, I've never even seen one go through a wall so, by vibrating their molecules. So I've been on hanging out on the wrong parts of earth prime. So a lot of this, it feels like during the creative process, um, I could imagine sitting at the typewriter and having a brainstorm where you think, oh, this is a great idea. I should have him meet my other guy. Yeah, this will be funny. And thinking it through just enough in the three hours it takes you to to write the connective tissue. These guys are writing on, you know, for uh, on deadline. Yeah. Like none of this stuff is well thought out. And none of them are thinking there are going to be hundred million dollar movies made of these in, in 50 years or that I'm going to have to support this idea that it's going Monthly. to have to be internally yeah. consistent across a thousand different platforms forever. Mm-hmm. And so when that sort of stuff starts getting, um, getting stapled onto it as it, as it, as it leaves the hands of its creator and at first then becomes the responsibility of a committee, an editorial group who, who somebody at that level waves their hands and goes, all right, there's two earths, which is complete cop out, right? They could have, uh, you know, if they had, if they'd really put their imaginative uh, gears to work, mm-hmm. maybe found, I mean, it just as easily could have found a different direction to go in. But now we're standing atop a castle made out of, of sugar bread of of sixty years worth of people stapling on explanations. Monthly to this. comics, everybody wanting to add their own little uh, their own little take and filigree on it, so it gets more and more baroque and more and more detailed and complicated. And it, it seems like the fan community of this world is hyper protective and uh, and super like. Um, well, actually, about it. As yes, because it's a fun shibboleth that you. You're not one of these casuals. You're not just a kid in Aquaman underoos. You understand the difference between Earth One, Earth Two. I see. Like it, 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 they like the the, compl- the complexity of the continuity, and they don't like when there's contradictions and, and errors. And so it must be rife with contradictions and errors. Okay, that's what happens here. Um, 
just as an aside, you know, obviously I don't want to imply that Gardner Fox invented the idea of parallel universes just by the day he had the flash. Who did vibrate the concept of parallel universes? I mean, it depends on how far you go back. I mean, let's go all, let's set the way back machine to all the way. Every time I go to a movie, I think this movie must take place in a parallel universe because nobody sees Julia Roberts's character and says, Hey, you look like Julia Roberts. Right. So when you think about it, all movies kind of, uh, by, by popular agreement have to take place by, by, Covert agreement, tacit agreement have to take place in some other universe in which well, except for Julia movies, Roberts doesn't exist. Except for movies where Julia Roberts makes a cameo. Right. At- Oceans Oceans uh, Twelve <laughs> is the only is the only exception. Or like it. the player, right? Which right. was famously full of cameos where everybody played themselves. But I think in general, people would look at art or read a book and think this is a depiction of my world, but it's just some corner of it that has. The Three Musketeers in it, or right, whatever. Right, right, right. Um, the idea that there could be a world parallel to ours, uh, you know, one possible precursor would be in the classical era. Uh, Livy, the Roman historian, uh, spent a couple paragraphs in one of his history books asking, hey, what would have happened if Alexander the Great had managed to invade Rome? Oh, okay. So great. Alternate history. He invents alternate history there. Yeah. And he's not imagining a world, you know, he's not kind of setting a story there. He's just saying, "Hey, what if? Here's what might have happened. Here's the most likely outcome of that battle." Right. Um, but that gets much. That kind of thing gets very complicated and broke as history goes on. In 1836, uh, a French author writes a Histoire de la Monarchie Universelle, History of the Universal Monarchy, which imagines Napoleon successfully. Uh, his campaign of Russia is successful, and as a result, he becomes the master of Europe. Right. What would a? And of course, this is a the Frenchman. Pax Napoleon. Right. A Frenchman imagining <laughs> a French-centric. Europe. <laughs> Can you imagine? And you see that into the well into the 30s. I kind of like it actually. Well, in the, in America, it becomes a lot of uh, civil war nostalgia. Right. To this day, a lot of this kind of Harry Turtle love alternate history stuff is. But what if the civil war had been won by the Confederacy? What if the Nazis had won World War Two? Sure. And, I mean, I actually play that out a lot. My, my favorite is what if Hitler had stopped at at uh, the Sudetenland. Like he had observed his pact with uh, yeah. What if Chamberlain? He, what if Chamberlain? And, and what if Chamberlain was the the hero of history, um, and Hitler had turned his attention to having the Germans manufacture microphones and um, and compact cars? Do they still take? Do they still take out Russia, or are they? Nope, no, nope. no, no, no. Oh. That's it. They just, just want to have a little fascist state in the middle of Europe. Yeah. What what he what he said he wanted, which was an Anschluss with the, with Austria. I like how and, your fantasy uh, is an honest Hitler and a reestablishment <laughs> of of Prussia. I like a straightforward Hitler who makes promises and keeps and them. Then, and you know what? And then he be, he becomes he, the original sort of German Zionist, and and we 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 uh, we start an Israeli state, but in Arizona. Oh, he creates a homeland because he wants him out. He wants him out, but it's all peaceful. There's no death and destruction. Actually, you know, this is this was the topic of a of a of a Michael Shabon novel. Sure, where but it's in Alaska. It's right? in Alaska, right? I like how you're making fun of uh, intricate superhero universes. Listen, but you have a much more <laughs> crazy one, like in your head, ready to go. I spend a lot of time thinking about the politics of the 1950s. If there'd been no World War II, so alternate history is one with with a single point of divergence. Right, becomes a, a popular genre, and today it's often used to tie into time travel stories because that can become the point of divergence. <sighs> right. I don't want to talk to you about time travel. No, don't talk to me about time travel. Uh, another data point to look at here would be the flatland story that we discussed in the Tesseract episode, mm-hmm. kind of a, a, an imaginary didactic two-dimensional uh, universe. So imagining what would a world be like if it had these foundational physical laws go. And a lot of fantasy fiction, kind of, that's the implicit 
deal we're making. Like, hey, what if there was actually magic in Wales? Boom. Or, you know, what if there were dragons? Boom. But there's a lot of desire, and I kind of sympathize with it, to have all of these alternate universes share a universe. You're Tommy Westfall here. Right? I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's. Do you not like the inconsistency of it? It seems messy to you? No, I mean, I, I understand the desire to have the Game of Thrones universe and Led Zeppelin 2 and, um, you know, and the Boeing 747 all be part of a continuous thing that doesn't require that we walk through a portal of someone's imagination that has a sign over the door that says, I invented this world. There should be a geography that gets you from one to the other. Right. And it's why Star Wars was so effective at setting itself in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. As a kid, that really spoke to me. It I did think. to me too. Like, hey, this is real, but it's just happening in a different place in time. A lo- and, and my daughter and I have had that conversation. Like, you know, that's a long time ago. And she's like, I know, I know. And then we both sit and just kind of stare at the wall like, right. And Battlestar Galactica did it too. Uh, it was a popular way of displacing... Right. They have a mythical earth that they're trying to get back to. But it suggests that technology, I mean, it, it, what it does is it allows us to say, oh, UFOs are real and and microwave ovens arrived on the scene because maybe that's found technology left over from a Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> you know, like oh, the wonderful thing in Star Trek when when Voyager comes back. Sure. Um, all that, all that. Star Trek couldn't stay away from the time travel. Like they kept going back to the sixties. No, I know. Cause they like the haircuts, but I like the voyage. I do like when Voyager comes back. I feel like nobody's as into that moment as I am. Like, Whoa, what a twist. I was really into that. Uh, tear, tear came to my eye for poor little Voyager that was coming back to destroy Earth. It just wanted to like <laughs> chat with aliens. But, uh, so when, when pulp science fiction becomes uh, a going concern in the thirties and forties, of course, uh, you know, they really embrace, what the mechanisms of this might be, you know, if the idea that there are parallel time streams out there, could we access them? Could you go back and forth? You know, what would happen if one diverged? Could you go back and make a different one diverge? All the great Asimov and Heinlein and all these guys write groundbreaking stories considering because it's just irresistible. Yeah, it is an alternate world with a slightly different rules. Everything's the same, but what if there's, you know, flying cars or what if, uh, you know, you met yourself, but, it's a version of yourself that became a dictator through time travel. But for, for an author or a creator to play in that sandbox and then put it aside and go play in another sandbox is kind of one thing. But for those of us that are the consumers that are left, it's very hard, I think, to shut the door on the last book and start the next book and not want the world that was created in your mind to yeah. pres- to persevere it's why it's why fan fiction blossoms right right you you can't let go of the world you just want more of it you want more of that feeling you had when you first saw tatooine or read about the shire right right uh and i think that's why earth 2 is kind of special you know there's all these precursors to this the pulps were full of parallel timelines like nobody seeing flash meet another flash you know a little kid might have been like whoa but anybody who'd been reading you know fantastic space Adventures magazine would would recognize the trope. But Earth 2, like you said, was sustained by a committee of people for decades. Right. Um, so, you know, Ray Bradbury writes a story about the butterfly wing changing, you know, stepping on a butterfly and it changes history. Uh, and that kind of enters popular culture. But, you know, 
that, that that's you know five thousand words. Uh, Earth two continues to age and grow with its audience. Um, after Flash of Two Worlds was a hit, it started to become an annual affair where the Justice League, kind of the Barry Allen era crime fighters, would meet up with the Justice Society, their their World War II era predecessors, mm-hmm. and they would cross from Earth One into Earth Two and have an annual team up this begins with crisis on earth two they did it through what a often, door? Often, often the flash would vibrate them oh, in. the flash he vibrates them in he's like a guy buying a velvet rope exactly he's like you're uh getting him into the, the club and but this becomes this starts to become very tricky you've mentioned that there would probably be a lot of loose ends here and it starts to annoy these detail conscious fans uh you know keep in mind that both of you know wall while superheroes came out of style and then back in and then circled back and started hanging around with their original selves, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman have been publishing continuously. Hmm. So that makes it kind of tricky. Like Superman, like Jay Garrick and Barry Allen don't know each other and consider that one considers the other a fictional character. And yet they both know Superman. How does that even work? Right. Um, so it's decided that obviously Earth 1 and Earth 2 both have a Superman, a Batman, and a Wonder Woman. Whoa, 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 whoa. So there's whoa, whoa. Superman of Earth 1, the one we know, and then there's Superman of Earth 2. Do they have different qualities? Slightly. Of course they don't because their stories overlap. Like from 1940 to 1956, everything that happened to Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman happened to both Superman, theoretically Batman, happened and to, Wonder Woman. To both, we assume. Yeah, Wonder Woman, we assume. <laughs> I get it. Uh and then the same impulse that made the, the made creators want to create Earth 1 and 2 leads to more. There's got to be an Earth 3 where the Justice League is evil. Sure. There's got to be an Earth X where the the characters, these different World War II characters from another publisher that we've acquired live. There's got to be Earth S where the Captain Marvel, the Shazam characters live. There's got to be Earth Prime where we live. Uh and the interesting thing about having a Superman of Earth 2 is that, you know, he was having his adventures in the 40s. Which means as the years go on and these crossovers continue into the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, our characters don't age. Barry Allen, the new Flash, and our Superman and Batman are perpetually youthful. Right. But these other guys are stuck in World War II. Oh. So. Well, they don't age either. They're just stuck there. Well, no. Well, their origins are stuck in World War II, so they are aging. Oh, oh, there are old Batman? Yes. Like, so the the main, you were asking about the differences. The main difference between Superman and Superman of Earth 2 is that, like, he married Lois Lane and Whoa. and retired. Like, But we never see those comic books except except as... Except a, when our guys visit them. Right. A component of Super Superman yes. wa, World 1, yes. Earth 1. And so this becomes even more complicated. Batman of Earth 2 marries Catwoman of Earth 2. Hello. Retires. They have a kid, as we get into the 60s and 70s, there can be a new generation. So they have a kid who fights crime as the Huntress. Uh, okay. Batman of Earth 2 eventually dies and Does is the replaced Huntress by get Robin of Earth 2. Uh, she shows up, she doesn't get her own comic generally, but she shows up as a guest star in some kind of universe-crossing way. Somebody has to vibrate molecules so she can meet our heroes. Because uh, it seems like she's ripe for her own property. Sure. Uh, and that happens also in the Superman universe where... Uh, when he meets his Kryptonian cousin in our world, that would be Supergirl. On Earth 2, that becomes Power Girl. So you have these very kind of popular comic book characters who are in a second universe somewhere having their own parallel adventures. Uh, so now my question is, one of the things that, that's hard for me about digesting superhero stuff is that 
part of the appeal of any narr- narrative work is that there are some stakes, right? Some, sure. Some reason that I care about uh, uh, and to give my time over to a, a, a fictional character, product of someone else's imagination. They're taking me on a journey. If that journey seems unreal, why would I spend time there? Mm-hmm. If a person is bulletproof or whatever, there has to be something else that counteracts their invincibility that makes them real enough that I can uh, take something away from it. That's why you like Spider-Man. He's I, not in Metropolis. He's in our New York. Yeah. And he's and Spider-Man has troubles, real troubles. He he's got pimples, tr- right? Uh, and even Superman, for all of his superpowers, he struggles. Uh-huh. And one of his struggles is that he likes Lois and Lois doesn't like him. And he also... Is, is Lois a, likes Superman, but does not Clark. Right, not Clark. And he's a nerd and he can't quite... You know, he's always tripping over his his. His whole shoes. planet died. His planet died. His parents are dead. Kryptonite makes him bo- bozo. That's right. So there, you know, Superman's got some flaws or whatever. But if you are, if you're, if you're super d- deep into a world that's happening in an alternate universe, <laughs> right, that could be wiped wiped off the face of the the uh, the terrain, not only by some cataclysm, but just by the fact that the the Flash can no longer vibrate himself over there. Like, or that it's a component of a billion other universes where other superpower girls are doing superpower things. Where do, do you as a fan grip your toes and, and get some purchase on, on like giving a good goddamn. Yeah. I, there, there would certainly be less identification with these alternate universe versions. I mean, it's right in the name. This isn't your Batman. This is Batman of earth two. Right. He's, this is Batman with a mustache. He's a fun. He's a fun supporting character. I guess is how you would you would think of him. I can uh, I can see the authors feeling liberated by not having to conform to really any rules. Well, they can't. You know, the real Batman can't change at all. It's got to, it's serial fiction. It's got to reboot for next month. Right. But the other guys can actually change and grow. But as soon as you take away any rules that govern structures. Yeah. I mean, Batman's got to wear a costume that looks like a bat, I guess. As soon as you get into a Batman that doesn't have a bat as a component of his logo, then you're into an alternate universe that where something's, something's changed. What even is Batman? What even is Batman? But like the spider verse has Spider-Man. I'm looking this up now. Cause I do not have this on hand. There's Spider-Man. Su- there's got to be six or seven in that movie, right? There's Superior Spider-Man, okay. which is a different kind of Spider-Man. There's Spider-Woman. There's Silk. There's Kane. There's Spider-Gwen. Spider-Girl. There's Ultimate Spider-Man, which has got to be a an evolution beyond Superior Spider-Man. That's Miles. That's our that's, that's our Miles. that's our Spider-Man of color. Miles Morales. There's the Black Widow. There's Ultimate Spider-Woman. Don't forget the uh, Jessica the, Drew. The, the pig. There's John Mulaney's pig guy. Spider-Ham. Spider-Man 2099. There's Spider-Girl, which is May Mayday Parker. That's and his alternate universe daughter from the future. Right. So there's a lot of spider people, peoples, and but they all have spider somewhere in the name, right? <laughs> uh, does, that, does that sell it enough for you? I, that's, that's the thing. Is that, is that it? Is that the only glue? Uh, that kind of is the only glue and a lot of, a lot of this, uh, kind of, uh, baggage you're talking about does start to accumulate over time. And it, it's eventually what dooms earth too, I think. It's like arsenic poisoning right after a while. Yes. It's just, it's the, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit's great. Great. But then it <laughs> I'd just, love to have some arsenic in my water. Tours up in your, 
in your bones. Well, I think it became hard for new fans. You know, right. like the old fans, like I was saying, it's a shibboleth. They love the fact that, oh, maybe we're going to check in with Huntress and 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 Catwoman of Earth 2. But to a new fan, you're like, wait, what? Catwoman Earth, Earth 2? I don't even know what Earth 1 is. I think that was always me, even though I was There's there. There's a f- learning curve? I was there in the 70s, book? but I couldn't... I couldn't grow rocket in the seventies and eighties. There is some attempt to actually make uh, comics that take place in earth Two. Oh. Uh, like Roy Thomas, a, a, a kind of founding member of the comic book fan community who loved all these old comics uh, switches from Marvel to DC and he gets permission to start setting actual comic books on earth Two. So there's a justice society. Roy comic. Thomas, not, not, uh, not Roy Thomas Baker. No, I don't know who that is. Roy Thomas Baker produced like the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> album and the Cars stuff like He's that. a subset of Roy Thomas Baker. <laughs> so, he's Roy yeah. Thomas Baker of Earth 2, basically. <laughs> no, he's a guy who was like Stan Lee's right-hand man in Marvel. But when he switches over to DC, he wants to make comics about these Golden Age guys he loves. So he makes new Justice Society comics and a new comic about their kids. So it's like the second generation of Earth 2 guys. So DC is publishing new comics set in a different Earth. And like you say, it starts to get complicated. Like, here are some of the problems. We've mentioned that Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman were published continuously through both the World War II era and the Golden and the Silver Ages. At what point do their comics switch over from being about Batman of Earth 2 to Batman of Earth 1? Yeah. They're, oh, right. Where's, there's, yeah, well, there's got to be a dividing a point. A switchover, right? But where is it? Like, to this day, it's, it's kind of like a... <gasps> Hang on. And it, and it gets even worse. There's a pivot point. It gets even worse. If uh, if characters in the Silver Age can read about the Golden Age guys and, and have all those comics that we had. But it's this, it's been the same person the whole time. Yes. Doesn't that mean they know that Batman is Bruce Wayne and that Superman is Clark Kent? Hey. They should just look at their old comics and be like, oh, right. Exposed. And then when Superman appeared on, on, on Earth 1, how come nobody was like, oh, yeah, this is Clark Kent. I read about him in the 40s. And then wouldn't Clark Kent be like, whoa, this is weird. Everybody knows I was, about me already. I was an older dude in the 40s? Come on. In now a comic book? Now, now I'm just feeling really seasick. So this pushes plausibility to the breaking point. And in 1984, uh, Marvel is way ahead in the in the market. They're, they're more hipper contemporary comics, superhero comics are just killing DC, and particularly the X-Men. Yeah, X-Men. They're like the kind of the, the angsty outcast. They push the Spider-Man pimple worries into the kind of the, uh, you know, they're they're a persecuted minority. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's easy to identify. It's it's your queer readers love it. They know what it's like to suddenly get weird knowledge about yourself in your teens that makes you different. Uh, you know, readers of color love the, the they're a persecuted minority that that out of you know the out of touch white politicians are always persecuting. I, I remember I felt a little resurgence with the with the the early X-Men stuff. You know, I'd been way out of comics, but I was I I got into those first X-Men. College kids started reading comics again, yeah, it I was, think. And I was in college and it was yeah. it was pretty cool. I, I I enjoyed that stuff a lot. And so DC is just seems even more hopelessly square than usual. Their their one comic that kind of keeps up with the X-Men is uh, the new Teen Titans. Yeah, and that just sounded like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to me. It was their dopiest. It was all their kid sidekicks. It was Aquaman sidekick and Wonder Woman sidekick. But they had a scrappy dude, a new a new writer, <laughs> right? All their cousin Olivers had kind of been hipped up by a, a Marvel guy named Marv Wolfman who had come over and was kind of writing his own version of the X Men with with Robin and all these other sidekicks. He was a Marvel guy named Marv. Yeah, it was short for Marvel guy. <laughs> <laughs>
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So uh, he's got a lot of car because he's the only guy at DC writing anything that young people want to read. And... He and his uh, Teen Titans collaborator, artist George Perez, uh, have an idea. They're going to write a series that kills off the multiverse. Oh, yeah. They're going to get rid of Earth 2 and Earth S and Earth X and everything. And they're going to simplify DC Comics so that new readers will finally not have to deal with all this Catwoman of Earth 2 nonsense. Burn it down. Burn it down. Burn it to the ground and start over. Uh, And it all turned out to be a dream in Tommy Westfall's snow globe. Well, they almost do something as metatextual as that. It it uh, it becomes since all the previous cri- uh, crossovers have been Crisis on Earth two, Crisis on Earth X. Uh, Marvel Wolfman proposes a Crisis on Infinite Earths, in which every Earth out there in the multiverse faces the same existential threat. And it's a very metatextual premise whereby a white wall of nothingness will engulf all these worlds, like kind of like the blank page. Oh, I'm looking for that every single morning. <laughs> right. Please, white wall of nothingness. <laughs> but in a comic book, what you see is, you know, stuff literally getting erased, you oh. know, like a white page erases inclines. Meta, 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 it's meta. It's very meta. And there becomes a race of powerful guardian aliens keeping an eye on the continuity, not unlike a comic book editorial staff who decide they want to prune and simplify certain things and preserve others. Is the big blue penis god from Watchmen uh, <laughs> playing a role in this at all? He is still just a, a twinkle in Alan Moore's eye oh, at this point. Okay. But yeah, uh, today, actually, that he is being used for the same kind of meta purposes in, in some DC comics. Uh, and instead of just destroying all the other Earths and leaving Earth 1, you don't want to do that because then you'll lose your Huntress, your Power Girl, right, right, right. all you your World War II guys. So the idea, Marv's idea, is to merge them all into one new Earth. How many Batmans can one Earth contain? Right. So it becomes a different kind of plausibility-pushing nightmare of pushing all these stories together in a way that now retroactively makes it. It's the invention of what we call retroactive continuity, saying that things happened one way, even though to readers who had those comics in the 50s, we know they didn't. Huh. So uh, all of the DC Earths get combined into a new Earth where people remember the World War II heroes— but um, but don't remember them getting old and dying? They did, but there was never two of anyone. Oh. Uh, like when the new Flash came, it was just a different guy who still remembered the old guy who was just 20 years older, you know, or a little bit older. But didn't have to deal with copyright issues when he took Flash's <laughs> right. costume and just started wearing it. <laughs> exactly. There is a Huntress, but she's not Batman's kid. She's got some new mob-related origin. There is a Power Girl, but she has an Aquaman-related origin. Does anybody remember the old stuff? Like, does Superman remember when he used to hang out with other Superman? 
It's kind of editorially unclear. Does anyone remember laughter? Best not to look too closely. Roy Thomas is told that his beloved JSA and and their kids will all be untouched. Oh. But it turns out, no. Like, oh. Marv Wolfman decides to lower the boom. They get bermed, too. Yes. Yeah, so, so you know, whole little corners of the DC universe. The books continue, but suddenly in a new universe where some things happened and some things didn't. And it becomes a chance to kind of update it for the 80s and get rid of stuff that seems old-timey and embarrassing. Did they get rid of any of the stuff that was new-timey and embarrassing? Because like, it seems for like example, there was a lot more of that. Uh, well, like when like, Wonder Woman had her seventies feminist glorious dynamic, or just the uh, just the Teen Titans or whatever. That seems like that all could have gone. A lot of that stuff goes away. Yeah, like uh, there was never a Superboy, for example, in oh, these new comics. Like right. Super Superman never dressed up as a superhero as a kid, for okay, example. Um, so stuff like that that seems a little. It would be cleaner without it. So this is a chance to actually get rid of it. They think it's going to be simple, but actually, it starts a twenty year era of of trying to figure out what really happened, like what, what the DC comics universe should look like, which things were real, which things were not. And they're constantly tweaking it and being like, oops, there's been another threat to the cosmos. And that will let us reboot the following characters or, Oh, there's a, uh, some villain has created a little separate universe. And that lets us say that this stuff really happened, but this stuff didn't. So it, you know, the, the hand, the editorial hands are very clear in all these supposedly in-story events. Right. Uh, and in fact, uh, they finally bailed on the whole thing. Uh, and uh, in, in recent years, in the, sometime in the early 2000s, I think they said, no, no, actually there is a multiverse oh, and boy. now there's an Earth 2 all over again. So it, the, the simplicity only lasted 20 years. But I would say that the popularity, the sustained popularity of creating this parallel Earth for comic book fans for 20 years, it changed the way our generation thinks about fiction and maybe even the way we think about reality. Go on. Well, think about how baked in this idea of alternate realities now is like, you know, Gardner Fox really had to explain all kinds of crazy vibrational stuff to get us on board with a second flash. And today it's just a staple of, uh, you know, into the Spider-Verse, there's a 10-second, uh, hey, I'm a different Spider-Man. And then, boom, we're into a new Spider-Man. And, and that's, audiences are sophisticated enough to go with that. You know, it's funny because it all is happening contemporaneously with the the dawn and rise of the idea of cultural relativity. Sure, there could be a second Spider-Man, and he could have different values than the old-timey one. That's right, and you cannot judge the new Spider-Man's values on the, based on the values of the old Spider-Man's cultural world. It's very helpful when the old uh, icons are problematic or troubled in some way, you know, like, or just old. Yeah, exactly. If if, if you think of them as your grandpa's Superman or Tarzan or Dracula, let's have one for a new era that speaks to youth culture. Um, But you see this not just in, in geek culture, but it's, it's mainstream, you know, like, Art films will have this conceit of of two different parallel versions of you know right. the double life of Veronique or whatever. You you just take it for granted that there can be this woman and her alternate universe version who made a different decision. Prestige TV like The Man in the High Castle will just take it as read that there's one world in which the Nazis won and one world in which they lost, and you just have to roll with it. We see um, we see it as you were saying earlier, like all movies kind of operate in a parallel universe. But 
you you go to see Inglorious Bastards, and it doesn't have to seem like our World War Two. It's just a it's a World War Two, and the scary parts of it, and the and the horrifying parts of it are. Tarantino's a good example. Like his movie this year is set in an alternate reality where the Manson murders go differently, and that's it's it's never stated. If it, you know, it's it just unveils differently, and no one Rod Serling never appears to be like, what if Sharon right. Tate didn't die, right? Uh, there's a, there's a novel this year, uh, Ian McEwen, you know, maybe the finest literary novelist in Britain right now, wrote a book that, uh, about, um, artificial intelligence that doesn't have to be set in an alternate world, but he just thought it would be fun. So it's an alternate world where the, where Britain loses the Falklands war. I think Alan Turing doesn't commit suicide. So that's why Britain is a, is an advanced computer culture. And uh, nobody ever says this is a different world. You just kind of gradually find out with little clues in the book what's different than our universe, and it's kind of a source of of fun. Well, and 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 like we've been saying throughout the sh- the show, I feel like from the standpoint of a writer, why not? Sure. Super fun because writing is creative, and unless do, you change more more decisions, right? Do what you want. Um, I think in the past, like Tarantino's book or Tarantino's movie about the Manson murders going differently. I think traditionally a writer would have taken the Manson murders as inspiration and fictionalized it and changed all the names and details and made a different story that, that the savvy reader would go, Oh, this is referencing the Manson murders, but it didn't, but the, the writer wouldn't have said, no, this is the Manson murders in an alternate universe. And it gives you some verisimilitude to think, I'm, you know, I'm there. I'm looking at the actual houses and, and real characters making real Westerns that you wouldn't have had if it's kind of winky winky. It takes the TV moviness out of it. Yeah. But it introduces a, the new kind of quandary of alternate universe equals yeah, like, or creates like alternate truth. I saw that criticism of the Tarantino movie. Like when it when it's all done, what does this add up to? It's just, it's just a... Uh, you know, wish fulfillment fantasy of the director who would like to have seen history go different. And that's the same with the, with Inglorious Bastards. And you, the movie ends and in our world, Sharon Tate's still dead. Yeah. And the other, but the thing is, yeah, there are real people in that universe making real choices, moral choices. And those moral choices and those real lives get turned into comic book. Those people have become marionettes for the delight of the author for some period. And then they get abandoned. Right. I mean, that was my critique of, or my criticism, I guess, of Inglorious Bastards was six million Jews still died in that yeah. universe and no comment was made about them, except that Hitler gets shot in the face 50 times at the end of the movie. Should I really feel okay that Jang, you know, should I really, is there any kind of um, catharsis in Django Unchained if, if it doesn't actually change how slavery happened? So, so it does feel, uh, not, I mean, it's, it's unearned. Yeah. It feels masturbatory, yeah. but also like un, it's un, an unnecessary conceit given that literature allows one to write whatever one wants. So why, why bother? I mean, if you're going to create a universe, create a universe, go the extra, go the extra distance and call it metropolis even. Uh, right. right. A, a single point of divergence is maybe less creative. Yeah. Than, yeah. Right. Like do, do a little bit more work and create a, a war that didn't happen and then set your morality play within it. Rather than take like basically the lazy 
let let history do all the heavy lifting for you. That was Tolkien's innovation, right? Which is that uh, I'm just going to drop you into this world right. totally unlike ours, and you're going to have to just explore it with with the guys, right? Or Dune, or any of the yeah, great yeah, exactly. any great science fiction is world creating rather than just scene creating. I would go further than you know. We've talked a lot about how this changed art, kind of this whole Earth to Star Trek Mirror Universe innovation, how it changed art. But I think it's kind of changed how a rising generation actually thinks about the world. Like, I think we think about reality different now that we just kind of all assume that there are parallel universes. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but reading the, reading the Ray Bradbury story, we're stepping on the butterfly puts a fascist government in power millions of years later. It really makes me think about how small acts can, snowball and we even use the metaphor of the butterfly effect we do it all the time i mean i i say butterfly effect once a week does I it make you more you, and it kind of makes me more mindful of what i do you it know does. not now that i think that you know if one unkind word to my kids could um you know just put them in a bad mood for the day or make them pass along that mood to others or, I, I, I use the butterfly effect as a teaching thing with my kid which is i'm basically trying to say to her if you are nice and are nice to people that yeah. niceness is distributive. And if you're mean, you have no idea how that meanness ends up creating meanness down the road for somebody you'll never meet. So that awareness of, you know, potential possible alternate timelines where you're nice or mean actually maybe creates a more mindful, enlightened public. And that's what's so beautiful about that short story. And that, you know, that was a moment of a writer's imagination that he didn't belabor. He didn't create a 600 episode uh, series about it. He just had the idea, he elucidated it and got out, right? But think of these other manifestations of it. Like, uh, I don't I don't think we'll do a whole show about the Mandela effect, but are, are you aware of this idea that when people have remembered the past wrongly, they now, instead of saying, oh, I remembered the past wrongly, they now say, oh, cool, I come from a parallel universe where Whoa. X, where Berenstain is spelled differently, no. or where Sinbad wow. made a movie where he was a genie, or Nelson Mandela died in prison. No, 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 Just no, because no. You don't get to do that. Because there's common mis... <laughs> they're, they're, they're so confident yeah. that this is how the universe works, that there is a multiverse... Right, the, that the, instead of saying, you know, memory is... Memory's tricky. tricky. It's funny how a bunch of people can start to think... They saw that edited scene and deleted scene from Star Wars. Right. Instead, they now think, no, I came from a world where we actually do follow Luke on Tatooine before switch, we don't switch over to the droids, you know? It, it's just a way for people to never be wrong. Yeah, so this this can enforce, uh, reinforce the worst things about us as well. And I, I don't know, to me, the one I hear the most is kind of the trope of the the good the good universe versus the darkest timeline. Do you see this online? I think there's a sure. I may I may be editing for content. I think there's a 2011 episode of Community that that raise of the comedy Community that raises the idea that there are you know good timelines and and disastrous ones, utopias and dystopias, and you know certain inflection points can lead you into a good universe and a bad universe. You know, there's dark timelines. Is Chevy Chase in this episode? I think it's yeah. I think it's early enough that it has Chevy Chase. Does that make it a dark timeline for you? It does. <laughs> <laughs> but I started to see it like w- when Trump won in 2016, people started to use this unironically and uncritically and be like, we're in the darkest timeline, you know, like. 
there, this is there's a uh, there's a West Wing version of the United States. Yes, that's percolating along with Jed Bartlett. People are very aware. People are checking in from the universe where Hillary won. Uh, well, that is online. the West, that is the West Wing thing, right? I mean, throughout yes. the Bush administration, we had yep. Jed Bartlett to comfort us at night. And I almost think it's a, you know it's a false comfort. You know, maybe it makes you less activist if you can just think, no, no, I can just instead of thinking about all this, I can turn on the West Wing and imagine. Right. That the good, good, Schmitz smart, is... benevolent liberals are in command, <laughs> and everything's going to be fine. Oh, no. uh, but on the other hand, maybe it is kind of hopeful. You know, the idea that you know, if nothing else, it suggests there could be a better world or a better place. Um, yeah, but I feel like there's a there has always been hope, and there's always been um, a desire to make the world a better place. Without. Without needing a, a cosmology of it, well, yeah. Without yeah. sort of needing to to clutch your whoopee through the bad times. I mean, you have to kind of face the bad times if you're sincere about making the world a better place. Agree, a hundred percent. Just in closing, it, what's interesting is that since Earth Two kind of cemented our idea of parallel Earths, the the science has has uh, has kind of come along with it. Like the science followed the science fiction in this case. Uh, in, yeah, but is this the science that was reading about the science of Earth 2 and then <laughs> yeah. discovering Did science? Did they read in a comic book? <laughs> like Hugh Everett proposed in 1957 what is called, what we now call the many worlds interpretation of quantum theory. Right. Which kind of solves the problem of, well, if, if you know, light sometimes acts as a particle and sometimes acts as a wave, and this is all indeterminate at a quantum level until it's examined does that mean that things change every time you examine it? It's the it's the paradox that leads to Schrodinger's cat. Right. Like the cat is both alive and dead until, until so, you open the, the examiner box. opens the box and the waveform collapses. And one way to resolve that seeming paradox is just to say, oh, every time the waveform collapses, reality, reality splits yeah. and Earth 2 or Earth 2 million gets created, one where the cat's alive and one where the cat's dead. And so the universe is constantly branching in a beautiful Spideyverse shape. And uh, we just happen to be living in the one we know, but there's an infinite multiverse out there. So it's weird that there is now a scientific backing for what started out as a kind of a stupid editorial conceit. So it's fractals. And maybe it's not a stupid editorial conceit. Maybe it is our nature to do. Yes, Gardner Fox did tune into another universe when when he wrote Flash of Two Worlds. Gardner Fox was just the, he's just the, the, the cat. Or maybe he was just, the box? Maybe he was just dropping acid. And that concludes Earth 2. Entry 391.RV2101. Certificate number 46819 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media exists across all multiverses and that you are listening to this program in all the many different universes that have been created from the time that Ken and I recorded it in this, our one solitary universe. We definitely cropped out all the universes where we don't do a show. And the thing is, I... And they're listening to nothing right now. I will not allow that there are alternate Kens and Johns making this right now. I believe that we are the only ones making this. Now, subsequent to this, there are maybe potentially billions of Ken and Johns who have diverged from this point going forward. And different things happen. They, they answer different yeah, emails. It's, it's easier to imagine the future ones than the past ones. But there cannot be 
There cannot be other Kens and Johns. You want to be the progenitor of all the other Johns. Well, at least from this moment. Mm. I do not allow that there is another John somewhere saying these very words. Only that there are other Johns that that ended up kissing Lori Basler in 1980 and that had different lives. I believe that there are those Johns. I see. But you cannot have other Johns that simultaneously arrived at this very moment because the choice that they made to do something different was just like an hour ago. I suppose... Yeah, what if they made a, what if they made a different choice, but they still did largely the same show? Right, that's the problem, right? Like, the, what if I drank a slightly smaller swig of Dr. Pepper? Most of my choices during the entry were the same. There are certainly some Johns that woke up this morning and other Kens were on their way over to those Johns' houses. I mean, I had no choice in you choosing this topic. I would have put the kibosh on it if I'd known it. Here we go. And so you would have already shown up here, but I would have stubbed my toe or something on the stairs, so I would be in a different mood. Maybe I would have had other thoughts. Okay, I'll, I'll allow that there are other versions of this show that even have this little speech in and them. the problem is half of them are better this is probably the medium <sighs> one boy what if we're depressing darkest timeline anyway this is the darkest timeline uh, to futurelings who have um who have survived the great cataclysm when all universes all ken and john universes are forcibly combined crisis on infinite <laughs> omnibus into one timeline uh you can check against reality by going to our twitter and uh, Instagram handles, well, Twitter and whatever, Facebook, other stuff, Omnibus Project, Ken Jennings, John Roderick, you can look for us. If you don't have the power to find us on the internet, I'm stunned that you are listening to a podcast. Maybe one of your children keyed, keyed this up for you, teed it up, in which case you're not going to go to Instagram. Have your grandkids come over <laughs> and, uh, and subscribe to our social media feeds. Uh, please email us. Even even if your grandkids set up your email, I bet you, you know how to use it. And you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, you can go to our Futurelings and Reddit fan communities, uh, both called Futurelings. Or I'm sorry, our Facebook and Reddit communities, both called Futurelings. Uh, you can support our show on Patreon. At patreon.com slash omnibus project. Please do. Please be one of the the devoted and dedicated and, and you know doing good in the world butterfly effect listeners who 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 give what you can. That's right. M- money is uh is a stressful thing and it is scarce and it is uh, and often, it's gonna get scarcer for you after you donate. That's right. It's off, often troubling but it's also completely fake. Money is completely fake. And think of the happiness you'll get every time you listen to a new entry in the omnibus thinking maybe this would not have happened if not for my uh, yeah. I'm the butterfly. My generous impulse. My wings are the ones that are propelling omnibus along life's path. Thank you, butterfly people of the past. Uh, and finally, you can send us real live things to confirm that we share a universe at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five. Is it your contention when you get electronic communication that it might be from another universe? Yes, absolutely. You, every every email you get, you think, is this really Ken or is this Ken of Earth two? I, I think the, I think the burden of proof to someone sending an email through a rip in the the space time continuum it's much lower than someone putting something in a box and having the having it delivered by mail. Hard to get them to verify. Hard to say. I mean. If, if I'm married to Catwoman, then you know it's not really me. Here's what you don't do. Do not put a cat in a box and send it to us to confirm whether it's alive or dead. It's true. Uh, we will not tell you what happens when the way function collapses. And we will not open the box. So <laughs> the cat will remain 
alive. In a state of quantum <laughs> indeterminacy. <laughs> Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long Earth One will survive. We hope and pray that the crisis we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, if the Anti-Monitor combines all the Earths, then this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus 